Welcome back to another episode of Lonely Town, a killer's podcast with Derek and Jimmy. Today we have a special guest, Don Markland, who we haven't seen for 20 years. Like his brother, Clint, uh, we interviewed a few months ago. So we wanted to start out, Don, by just having you tell us what's going on with your life. Where are you today? What's what's happening? Uh, yeah, thank you uh, guys for both you know letting me be on the podcast. I think it's super cool. Anybody that wants to try to get their voice out and try to you know, kind of pre- present a medium. It's hard work. And I think your listeners probably don't realize the hard work. They just hear the audio of it. And so I'm super proud of you guys for what you're doing. I think that's great. And if anybody that's listening to your podcasts, they're probably thinking this is Clint again speaking because we have the exact same tone of voice and uh, it's, it's crazy. So I run my own business. We live in Florida and out here I've got my own consulting and coaching practice where we were just uh, recently ranked top 10 business coaching practice by Yahoo Finance and top 10 business coaching business coaching group by Forbes this year. We just got that. Um, and we just got ranked number two as online trainers in the United States with our work. And I work with uh, businesses typically under 5 million in size, helping them grow their sales and marketing in a lot of different industries. And it's been great. It's, it's uh, got me the chance to travel and do a lot of different things. I write for Forbes now and, and it's a ton of fun. So that's, that's what I do. I've got my beautiful wife and three kids and none of them can believe where I came from, like where little Nephi was. I hadn't been to Nephi in about 15 years or so, I think maybe 13 years. And my son is going to go to college at Utah tech down there in St. George. And so when I flew him out to visit the university, we drove through Nephi and I showed him, all of the spots like, you know, the old gym and the high school and where my, where my old house was and my first job at least is country kitchen and all these types of things. And he was like, this is your town. I'm like, yeah, that was my, that was my town, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how it went. That's a, it's a long way from Nephi to Florida. And uh, yeah. it sounds like you've been very successful. So congratulations on all that. Thanks for making some time for us coming in here and, and that's very kind. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, th- thanks for coming in. And uh, let's just go. Let's start at the beginning. Let's get back to, I guess, uh, junior high, middle school type. When uh, when were you introduced or what's one of your first memories of Brandon and growing up in Nephi? And so I was good friends with you had him on your show. I was there was this guy we had, a you know, we had our own little I hesitate to call it a gang, but we had our own little grip of kids, boys. And this and Adam was one of my really good friends at the time. And Adam brought Brandon one day, right? Like, just like showed up with this kid that his one tooth hadn't grown in. When Brandon was a kid in middle school, he had one tooth that had come out, his baby tooth had come out. And he, I remember he had braces, but his adult tooth hadn't grown in yet. And he showed up with this kind of portly Brandon Flowers kid. And, um, you know, we, he just fit right in. Right. And so we just had a gas of a time really, really early. We used to call him flower power and we used to play basketball a lot. He used to do this kind of, that's why I called him flower power. Cause he did this kind of weird layup thing, like, like a uh, super Mario, if you're familiar with the, with the character and Brandon was great. And so we hung out, you know, back then in Nephi, there wasn't much to do. This is before we were driving. So we would just go hang out at houses. We'd hang out at this, we had this good friend, Matt, Matt Bowles, who lived out by the airport. We'd hang out at Matt's house um, when we could get rides or we'd hang out at the annex where he lived. 
and um, or we just walk around town. That was kind of what you did back then. You just walked, and uh, that's that was my probably my first memory. You know, I'm I. Is it okay if I talk about religion on this podcast? Yeah, yeah you can go family. wherever you need to go. So one of my earliest memories, I'm a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. When I was Brandon's age, when we were in middle school together, I wasn't a member of the church um, at all. And in fact, I thought Mormons were weird. I still think Mormons are weird. Um, but at the time, I really thought it. And I still remember in uh, seventh to eighth grade summer, I was at a sleepover, Matt Bowles and Brandon and I were spending the night at Matt's house and those two young kids were getting their missionary work on. They were talking to me about the book of Mormon and why I should read and pray about it and, and all this kind of stuff. And all these years later, that's actually how Brandon and I reconnected on some, on some church stuff. But uh, yeah, it was, it was great. That's one of my earliest memories. What do you remember about the annex about spending time there? Um, the annex was um, an old, decrepit building that I think at one point was at least what we always believed was a psychiatric hospital or, or ward or something like that. And we always felt there were certain portions of the annex that were haunted because somebody, you know, we were kids. We used to make crap up. Like I think somebody committed suicide in here or, or whatever. So there was a portion of it that was not completed. So it was, it was pretty worn down, but where they lived I remember when you'd walk in through the kind of the main entryway and over to their living area, that was where their family living area is where we used to hang out a lot. And then where Brandon and I used to spend a lot of time when it was just he and I hanging out is because after the living area in the kitchen, you'd go through this little hallway to his bedroom. And in that hallway was, they had this old piano and that's where Brandon and I mostly connected probably differently than Adam or others did. Cause we were both piano piano players and I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times he and I were sitting on that piano dinking around and doing stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that was the annex. That's what it was. He had a great, his great parents, his mom particularly is, was always super kind and kept us updated after he moved, uh, to Seattle and then later back to Vegas. And, um, and yeah, they're wonderful people. Just the most, the most kind, salt of the earth, hardworking type folks. So as we talk to some people from Nephi that we went to school with, your name has come up multiple times as we've asked people if you ever would have pictured Brandon becoming a musician uh, when he grew up. And a lot of people will say, well, of course, Don was the one who was super musical. So I wanted, you know, we'll get to some of the performances you did, but how did you get started in music? Uh, it's a Markland um, kind of rite of passage. Uh, you had to, my father was a musical theater major for a time in college. My mother, um, even though she graduated, I think in medical technology or something, but she had a minor in music from University of Utah. My mother was a, a very gifted pianist and my father was a guitar player and a singer. And so growing up in the Markland home, it was kind of like, hey, you're going to play either the guitar or the piano. And, uh, and I picked up the piano. I fell in love with artists like Jerry Lee Lewis and Harry Connick Jr. as a really young kid. And so I started to adapt their styles in the way I played to my mother's frustration. She was more classical, more boring, more stupid, right? My stuff was fun and exciting and, um, and it impressed girls. And so I learned really quickly, if I could play a little bit of blues and rock and roll, I could, I could make some people smile. And, and, and so that's, that's why we were musical and that's why we stuck with it. 
So what uh, what songs did you have any memories when you and Brandon are just sitting there playing on the piano? Were you playing, you know, the Jerry Lee Lewis? Were you doing some of the, uh, you know, 80s stuff that he's into? Or <laughs> uh, Elton John or? mostly. He was a big Elton John fan. He still is. They're, you know, as, as he's told me, they're pretty good friends. He and Elton are really close. And um, and so when we were kids, he was always trying to get me to learn Elton John stuff. Now, I was a Billy Joel fan. Um, and they, you know, they kind of competed, not really, but in my mind, I guess I thought they did. And so I remember Brandon learning different types of songs, Crocodile Rock is a big Elton John song. And then one of the songs that we both learned together to play together in 1992, there was a movie called The Lion King and there's a, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? That was the Elton, big Elton one. And so we would learn that we'd, we'd play that together and you know we we'd mess around on him kind of stuff he would be i still remember him writing stuff and playing stuff and we'd kind of throw it back at each other and say what does this sound like and everything and and he just had a knack for you know kind of a funk sound it was it was pretty cool one of the big things we've talked about that involves you and music and brandon is an, a middle school talent show what can you tell us about that so i was always kind of an extrovert's extrovert right if there was a stage i could find a way on it and um, I remember the talent show, we, I don't remember where the signups were, but Brandon and I were kind of chatting about it. And we were like, hey, let's do something for this talent show. And so we signed up um, to do a duet type of a thing. And, um, and we did two songs. And I remember we practiced those songs. The first one was the Elton John, Can You Feel the Love Tonight song, right? Um, and we were going to sing it, but at the time, like Brandon couldn't sing and play. I used to give him a hard time with that. Like we would try and he couldn't sing and play the piano at the same time. Man, I used to give him a hard time. I'm like, dude, you suck, man. You got to pick that up. I mean, who's the idiot now? Right? At, the time, <laughs> at the time, he couldn't. And then the other song we did, there's a very famous uh, piano duet that you learn in school, which is called Heart and Soul. It's very common what people learn. And I could, at the time, I could do some pretty cool jazz stuff on the top hand. So he'd play the bottom and I was kind of just jazzing up and going crazy on the top. And so we did those two songs and, and that was it, man. It was awesome. And, you know, I didn't, I had no idea at the time I was going to be, you know, performing with an award-winning musician later in his life, but uh, it was cool. It was cool. That was, that was the talent show and it didn't pick up any girls. So I was surprised at that I thought we would just crush just be slaying yeah just swing and a miss elton john and heart and soul just didn't do it for anybody (laughs) so so what was the setup because we have people that remember that differently were you at two separate spots in the gym or were you guys together we're together on the same piano there weren't i mean this is juab middle school they didn't have two pianos in that school right (laughs) we had one piano that was getting shuffled around from the chorus room all right and then they had the grand piano in the um in the auditorium right so they weren't going to move the uh, that one so they just took the chorus room piano which was an upright and they moved that to the like the third the the three-point line in the gym and then he and i just lined up and sat on that so you uh you were co-headliner basically with with brandon (laughs) i don't yeah 
That's very kind. I don't know. I mean, it was a it was a middle school talent show, and there's a lot of people that were performing. There were other people. One lady, I remember this girl, she lived up in All Red Hill. She did an original piece on the piano. I'm, I was super competitive even then because I remember watching her and thinking, yeah, we kicked her butt, right? Because um, she was a pianist, so she competed with us. Um, there were a lot of dances and stuff like that, and, and we were better than all of them, I'm sure. Um, and so, like, if they judged it, if it was America's Got Talent, I think we would have won the million. Like, I'm pretty sure, but um, there were lots of people. You at least got through to the next round. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Any chance there's a surviving recording of that performance? Uh, that was a long time ago. Um, you know, you'd have to solicit all 75 people that were going to school at that time. Right? So it's, <laughs> it's a pretty small control group. Um, I don't think my folks would have filmed it. Right. There's no way, um, you know you'd have to figure out, I mean, if I was going to do a full on market research, I'd figure out who were all the sixth, seventh and eighth grade um, uh, members, which is not a hard log group is like 300 people. And then just start soliciting, Hey, did you film a talent show uh, between 1993 and 1995? And you'd probably find it. I'm going to put a, a want ad in the times news, maybe solicit <laughs> country kitchen gift certificates and see what we can do. There it is. There it is. Yeah, that'd be that'd be that'd be bananas to see, right? To see it'd be all grainy, I'm sure. But um, uh, yeah, th that would probably sell, you know, in your eBay world, dude. You'd sell that out. <laughs> it'd at least be a, a YouTube hit or TikTok or wherever the kids are doing now. I'm sure we get. That's some. right. Yeah, that's right. So, did you and Brandon continue a relationship after uh, middle school, going into high school? Or yeah, we were friends up until he left. Right. So like the one connection point that we had that Adam didn't have was Brandon and I were golfers. Like my family was golfers. Um, and so Brandon and I golfed, I don't want to say we were, you know, we golfed every weekend, but we golfed plenty. Um, and I know like there were times where Brandon would throw up 36 holes on a Saturday. I mean, this guy was a legit golfer. If you had asked me as a junior in high school, what's Brandon's future? I thought he's going to be a caddy. I thought this guy is because so, remember his brother played on a junior tour. Okay. So his brother was a, was a scratch freaking golfer, his older brother. And so I thought Brandon was going to be a caddy. That's that's that. If I had to put my money on it, when he left, I thought he was going to finish school, probably go to college, try to get on a golf team, miss out, go be a caddy. And he would have been great. And so we were close. We golfed. I mean, I, I still remember him telling us, he told me at the golf course, you know, that he was moving. I still remember him telling me that. Right. So yeah, that's, that's happened. You remember why he told you he was moving? Was it, was it for just didn't fit in with Nephi or just wanted to get out? I just wanted to get out. I think, you know, we didn't talk to, I mean, look, we were a couple of high schoolers. We weren't having emotional, like this wasn't Everwood or some stupid thing. <laughs> where you actually share your feelings. Right. It was just like, Hey, I think Dawson I'm Salt Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just like, Hey, I'm moving. Got it. Yeah. Look me up, dude. See you later. Right. Like, I mean, who cared? I was just like, fine. Does that mean we're not going to go with something to eat? Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Right? So uh, you brought up Jerry Lee Lewis and I had written down a few times. I remember you performing throughout school. I remember you performing Great Balls of Fire one time. And I remember you you wrote an original graduation song, I believe, for. I did. Yeah, it's called Graduation Night. I, I wrote that as a junior when I was running for student body president, I needed to have a gimmick that could win over everybody. 
And so I wrote a song called Graduation Night, which got me votes, I thought, and, and I won. And then, you know, as the story goes, that year, the graduating seniors wanted to use that song. They wanted to do that at the graduation ceremony. I was super arrogant. And I was like, you're not going to use my work. You're not going to use what I wrote. Right. So I wouldn't let them perform it. And then I did it for this is a stupid little silly story. But then my senior year, I wanted to perform it at our graduation class in 99. And they wouldn't let me. They said, no, we have a very tight agenda. But Megan Welsh, who was awesome, she was the student class secretary. So she gave the opening prayer or the benediction or whatever it's called. And then we had it planned between her, myself and Andy. Andy Messersmith was my best friend in high school. And we had it planned that Megan said, and now we're going to hear a song from Don Markland. And she took the mic off of the podium and handed it to Andy. He walked over to the piano and I walked down the stage and we performed the song. They couldn't stop us. Right. So, yeah, that was that was us being rebellious back then. That was us fighting the man. Did you also play the saxophone? I did. I played the uh, alto and tenor sax. And you have a crazy memory. I don't know where you're getting all this. Jimmy yeah. does his research. He comes from right. Yeah, no kidding. So you graduate high school, you move on with life, you, you get your career and stuff started. Uh, when's your first, I guess, introduction with the killers? Did you know it was branded off the bat and you kept in touch or, or how did you find um, it? We hadn't kept in touch, right? Like I hadn't kept in touch with very many people since uh, high school. And my wife and I were, I don't remember, this was the year that Hot Fuss came out, okay, their first album. And we were watching Saturday Night Live and the killers were on there. And as we're sitting there watching this, you know, and I'm seeing this guy in like a silver suit with a pink tie, you know, bouncing around on the stage. I said to my wife, Hey, I think that was my friend, Brandon from high school. He said, no, it's not. There's no way. And I said, no, I'm telling you. So we had the power of Google. We looked it up and sure enough, it was Brandon Flowers. And it said at the time from Las Vegas, right? They didn't, he wasn't big on the Nephi stuff. And I was like, I'm telling you, I know it's Brandon Flowers. There's gotta be only one Brandon Flowers in existence, right? And so I started to realize that was Brandon Flowers. And look, the performer of then is very different than the musician of the performer of now. It's very, very different. Um, but it was just kind of bananas to see that and, and then get connected with the album and hear Andy, you're a star being about my best friend in high school. Right. And I was like, this is, this is crazy. I couldn't believe it. And, and then to follow their career. And then we didn't get connected until um, a few years ago. Okay. A few years ago, he reached out to me and, um, and it was cool just to kind of reconnect with them. And, and we still, uh, chat every once in a while now so what's your thoughts on andy you're a star we've had a lot of people ask about that but you were best friends with andy you're friends with brandon uh there's a lot of different thoughts out there do you what's what's your take on that i mean brandon was a musician and he's writing a fabricated song based off of things that connected to him andy was you know very much awesome and uh a great friend and and he was the best athlete in the school. And if he had gone to a 5A school or something, he would have been the best athlete in the state. And if he had gone to a school in California, he would have been the best athlete in the country. Um, he just outworked everybody athletically, he, not to mention he was a great looking guy. And so people were just drawn to him. He had a charismatic attitude about him. And so that's what I think the song's about is about this, this kid who's just a star and um, the problems that come with being a star, 
and there are problems, right? You, when you start to, I mean, Brandon's had some of these own demons, right? When you're a star and people, you know, adorize you in any way, all of your mistakes are exploded. Any small little thing, if you could imagine for a second, imagine your worst mistakes being exploded into the national media, right? It's terrible. Now take it on a microcosm scale at a high school where everybody knows each other's name. You do something stupid, everybody's going to know. You break up with a girl, you're mean to a girl, whatever, everybody's going to know. And that's what I hear when I hear the song is the problem of being popular. You want to seek out those things and you want to be your very best, but it comes with flaws and demons and pain. It's hard. And so um, I'm, I'm a fan of the music of it. I'm a fan of it. I'm, I still, you know, I chat with Andy all the time and, and I, I, he's, to my opinion, the great, the best high school football coach in the state of Utah. And, um, and it's pretty cool to have it about a song. I know it's caused some noise in his life at times. People have given him a hard time about it, but you know, that's, that's just the way people take things. It's stupid. I know it's caused frustration in his life unfairly and that's, that's fair, right? right. Notoriety comes with, an, it's two ends of the stick, right? There's one of the stick that's great. And there's another in a stick that's really bitter and really tough. And it's cool to have a viral video or a viral song or a viral whatever, but it's also just as frustrating to have, be publicly known for something that's out of your control. Right. So, yeah. So what have been some of your favorite killers songs that have come out over the years? You know, my, the song that I always listen to all the time, and this is actually when Brandon and I first, when he reached out to me and we reconnected, I told him his best work was the song, the man. Um, I said that. And I was like, look, I just, that song on my workout playlist, it gets me jacked up. I love it, dude. I love the man. And so um, that's, that's awesome. That's his, that's my favorite song. I listen to it all the time. There's a couple other ones that I like. I really like read my mind. I know that's his favorite song. And we've, we've chatted about that. And I like Samstown a lot. I think that's a really kind of gritty album. And I thought it was their most challenging work that I thought they did. Smile Like You Mean It's on Hot Bus is another song that I probably return to a lot. And then Quiet Town, that's um, on their most recent one. That one makes me think of home when I hear probably more than anything else. Not West Hills or any stuff. Quiet Town is the one that makes me think of Nephi. Before uh, Pressure Machine came out and there were some songs that kind of sound like they were about Nephi or anything like that. I guess, did you connect with any of those or have any conversations with Brandon about songs being about well you kind of so brandon reached out like so the the way it happened when brandon reconnected with me it was it was it was so bananas i had written an article for um lds living i'd written some stuff about faith like can can teenagers struggle with their testimony and and i talked about yes absolutely every you know the latter-day saint church was founded on the idea that a teenager doubted (laughs) <laughs> that the, that God was real. Okay. And so every teenager should have that journey. And that's what I, that's what they published. And, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe a year or six months after it published, Hank Smith caught it and he retweeted it. He's like, you should read this. And then all of a sudden I get a text from Brandon. He's like, Hey, Donna's Brandon flowers. I don't know if you remember me. That's how he started. The text. <laughs> okay. Nice. And he's like, Hank Smith just retweeted this article that my manager sent to me and said, I should read. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I went to high school with this guy. You won't believe it. And I said, Brandon, do you recognize the irony in everything you're saying? 
right? <laughs> like this is, this is ridiculous. And we just had a great time chatting and catching back up. And I told him about the man and, and um, that's when he had let me know I'm writing an album about Nephi and stuff like that. And it was cool. Um, I have recognized there's probably a little bit of Nephi in every album from Andy or star to the river, um, uh, the Adam Bruff song. Right. And you can kind of hear yeah, and you can yeah. hear each album have a little bit of it, right? Look, that's where he grew up. That's where he had his formative years as a teenager. So, um, of course, there's going to be a little flavor to it. And um, there's there's one song um, I can't I can't remember what um, song it is. It's the one that it's this sense. It's a softer song. Let me um, hear with me. You know, hear with me. It's one of the deeper tracks. Um, that one to me reminds me of stuff that he was kind of into that was not Duran Duran and the cars. That was that techno feel, but then he would do the softer stuff. And that here with me is what kind of brings that back up. Not that's some of his best work and his solo stuff is, I think really good work. It didn't catch on as strongly, but um, it's great. Uh, this is where I give the credits, the biggest or the biggest credit to the killers is the longevity of their ability to pump out new music and transformative styles. And that's what's keeping them relevant. Blink-182 from the 90s could never pop out. They just had the same sound. They could never break out of it. Weezer was the same way. But then if you compare Killer's albums, you would at times wonder if it's the same group because it's so diversive. And I think that's what's been their lasting power. It's pretty impressive. Another story from, from growing up that Brandon's mentioned before was an experience with a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah we all got in trouble with the ouija board so um i don't know who bought it somebody had it and now look at the time i was not latter-day saint so i didn't have any of the pressure machine that he refers to okay he refers to this pressure machine which was culturally driven by the church and that's not to sound negative or to make it sound like a warren jeff's convent okay or compound it wasn't but there is a social pressure to perform and live a certain way. You guys know this, but any religious community has this. If you're in predominantly Baptist communities, you'll have this. There's you know, boroughs in New York that are heavily Jewishly populated that would have the same pressures. Okay? It's just the pressures of being around a dominant culture. So that being said, um, somebody had a Ouija board and we started dinking around with this Ouija board and you know, asking it crazy questions. Brandon's mom was a gas, man. She was, she was having us do this thing. You go in a bathroom with a candle and say bloody Mary three times and stuff like that. And, and look, none of us, I don't know, maybe people believed it. I don't know if any of us really believed it. Brandon, I think thought he was going to die on a plane or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. He had this thing. His where birthday, he, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and uh, so we were doing the Ouija board stuff like crazy. And then there started to get noise, they would say, from some stake president. Remember, I didn't even know what that was. Right. <laughs> and they're like, they're telling us to stop and that we have to stop. And and then it became more rebellious because they're telling us to stop. And we would go do it at El Dorado. El Dorado was a kind of a, an old factory building at the edge of town that had been decrepit. And we'd go hang out in El Dorado all the time. We would do it there. And, and it was it was just a gas, man. It was bunch of kids being stupid having fun and and you know it was all just us boys doing it all the time man i can't believe that i haven't thought about the ouija board in a long time man yeah he's he's talked about uh having it asked when he was going to die and the number came back was 621 or whatever. that's right yeah yeah 
Yeah. So he's been afraid to fly on that day and things like that. Or you mentioned a recent visit to driving through Nephi with your son. What kinds of things did you want to show him when you went through? When I first got off the exit, um, again, I hadn't been there in a long time. So there's some of it was so different. Some of it was so, so different. Um, but the main things I wanted to show him was, first of all, my old homes, because we had a couple homes in Nephi. So I wanted to show him where those were and the elementary school and things. And I for sure wanted to show him the old gym because that's where we used to go to the skating rink. And that was freaking game. That was bombing to go to the skating rink. But I also wanted to take him on this journey. So there's another story. And I, I don't I, I don't remember if Brandon was there or not, but I believe that he was. But it could be my memory lying. Andy lived up in Nebo Heights. For any of your listeners who don't know, there was kind of the main section of town. And then at the north end of town, kind of up this hill above the school was where all the freaking snobby people lived in town. It was Nebo <laughs> Heights, right? And Andy lived in Nebo Heights. And we were doing a big sleepover there. And I'm confident Brandon was with us. It was, it was Adam, Brandon, Andy, um, Matt, and myself. And we were doing this sleepover. We snuck out. And all of a sudden, this car comes out and starts chasing us, like comes behind us, lights on. We sprint. We have to hide in the cemetery. We try to come out and it's chasing us all over. And we finally get on our way back home. And then Andy's dad shows up and busted us sneaking out. And, <laughs> and it was nuts. It was, we all had to bail and leave. And, and the reason that story is so funny is because my senior year, we had to write there's this essay portion of graduation you had to do. I think Andy and I both wrote about the sneak out, right? Like that event, it was so impactful, so terrifying. So I'm waiting for Brandon to write a song called the sneak out or something. At one point he talks about in one of the songs, he talks about running through graveyards or something like that. I can't remember which one. And I thought sneak out, baby. That's that night, dude. <laughs> that might be that. So when uh, when Pressure Machine comes out and you first give it a listen, you said that Quiet Town reminds you of home. Was there any yeah. other songs or anything that stuck out to you or, or brought back memories of Nephi? Um, the, the album for sure has lots of Easter eggs to Nephi if you listen to it, right? Okay, West Hills for sure. And and so and Cody for sure. We went to school with a kid named Cody that we all knew. And I know that's a fabricated story of it. Um, Quiet Town's got that reference to... Um, the couple that passed away that got killed by the train that we all remember. I mean, I remember being in middle school and that occurred or high school or something. I don't remember how old I was, but I mean, it shook up the town. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, who thinks that people are going to pass away? Um, you know, it's just not real. And then all of a sudden it was very real. And, um, and so, yeah, like the album itself, I was thrilled when the album came out and hit number one and um, it's been number one in a few countries and things like that. And, and as much as I love that it brings highlight to the small hometown that we were in, um, I was thrilled for Brandon and the Killers because it, they did a completely different sound and yet still hit high, almost as high levels of achievement they've had since Hot Fuss. And I thought, oh, good for them. They took a big risk to be a counter sound to what they're main fan base wants and they nailed it and they did well. So that's, that's pretty cool. When you were uh, texting with him and he said he was going to do this album, was the, what was that conversation like? Was there any insights that he say, you know, no, he's look, I think he recognizes his celebrity for sure. And so he's very careful on, cause you never know who you can trust or what you can do. I mean, if he sent me a song or something like that, 
and it got out, you know, it'd be, it'd be bananas, right? Like, and he's got to always guard that stuff and be careful. And he's, he's shockingly down to earth. And, you know, people talk about celebrity changes you. I would dare say with Brandon, it's enhanced his true character, not changed him. doesn't mean that he didn't go through different challenges like he had with his wife and things like that and, and her health, but it is made his character stand out in a genuine way. He doesn't take himself too seriously and he's extremely kind. You know, he and I've had some great conversations about my family and the things that my family's gone through. And, and he's just, he's as cool as you'd ever think. He's as cool as you'd ever think. From uh, growing up, you said you were an LDS uh, growing up. Uh, the pressure machine, we talked about how that deals with that a lot. Now you are um, and writing for magazine articles and stuff. So I'm going to take it that you're, you're pretty serious about it. You're, you're pretty committed. What do you see from the pressure machine, uh, the religious standpoint of the people that didn't quite fit in or weren't part of it to where now you are a part of it? You can kind of see both perspectives there or probably have a different view than what a lot of us would have. Sure. What do you think about that, Nephi, and just the uh, the religious parts of that album? So my perspective is maybe a little different. See, when I grew up in Nephi, my brothers and I, we were the minority, right? We were the family that wasn't Mormon, Okay. And so I had many times where I was hanging out with friends or dating a girl. And then all of a sudden they couldn't because their parents would say, you can't hang out with him. He's not Mormon. Okay. So, you know, here I live in Florida where my kids raised LDS, they're the minority and they're thought of as weird. And I've had to say to them, well, I had it the other way from Mormons. Okay. From the chosen people, the kindest people, the people that take care of each other. Well, you know, bullcrap. Right. They'll take care of you if they're your own. And so, you know, growing up, I had a weird view of Mormons. Like they don't, they don't, they're worried I'll get it on them. They're worried I'll get my stuff on them. And it wasn't until later as I matured in the church that I realized there's two parts of any religion, particularly mine, is um, there is the doctrine of the religion and then there's the culture of the religion. And the culture, and that's what the pressure machine is about. It's not about the doctrine. It's about, or the belief system. It's about the culture. And culture is man-made. Culture is all click-based. It's, it's all, are you in clicks? Are you fit in? And that's what creates pressure. And, you know, you can see that at sub-levels, like at a high school, with you, where they're the jocks or the cowboys or whatever, right? It's the same pressure machine to fit in and be included. You just see it at a massive scale when it's dominated by a particular faith. And then you somehow tie your, um, your eternal salvation to it. It becomes very real. And that's, that's what the pressure machine was about, right? It was, Hey, there's a culture that has somehow claimed ownership over eternal salvation. And none of that's real. None of it's true, right? The church doesn't believe that, right? The church would, a church would have never have said, don't play with somebody, right? Christ himself hung out with sinners. My heavens, not one single person followed Christ the way he wanted to. He had to go find him. Okay. So he had to go around with all those people, but culturally, sometimes we forget that and we do stupid things. So did you grow up wanting to get out of Nephi? You've obviously always ended up far from the, from yeah, home. always, always. I moved out when I was 18 and I knew I would never move back ever not for all the tea in China. Um, it's not that I hated Nephi. I have very fond memories of Nephi, some of my fondest memories, but you know, I didn't want to work at the rubber plant. I didn't want to work in town. I didn't like, 
manual labor. I'm the laziest guy in the world when it comes to being outside. I don't like sunshine. I don't like outdoors. I like to read. I like to write. I like to, you know, work in big businesses and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I knew there was no way. And I have to give high crown to my parents. They're just the most incredible parents in the world that taught all of us boys, you know, find your ambition, find your soul, find your future. It doesn't have to be here. It could be anywhere you want to make it. And at one point, the Markland boys, my brother, uh, I had one brother living in Alaska, one brother living in El Salvador. I was living in Florida and one brother living in Utah. My parents lived in Nevada, right? So, I mean, we couldn't be more spread out and that's okay. We're still super close as a family. Have you been able to, to catch uh, any Killers concerts, any tours that have run through? Um, I haven't, I've never seen them live in concert. They're coming to Orlando and Brandon and I have been texting and I'm, so I'm going to go see them in Orlando. I'm very excited for that. And I'm at, to be honest, I'm glad I'm seeing them now as they're a more mature concert band. They're much more mature than they were. And mature is maybe the wrong word, much more experienced. Um, I've seen live versions of them online and things and Brandon's frontman performance now versus a decade ago you wouldn't even think it's the same person he's much more confident on stage and so i'm i'm glad i get to see them now so uh i'll see them in september well we'll start we'll start praying now that you get called up on stage to do a duet of can you feel the <laughs> i doubt i doubt that uh, there's no chance that people aren't there to pay to see me but you know i understand they're a really great live band and so everybody that I've seen them live have said they just bring down the house. And uh, that can't be said for everybody. You know, you go see performers and you go, wow, it's different than the recording. Definitely studio enhanced for a lot of people. Yeah, well, look, I don't fault them for that. You just got to do what you got to do to sell records. So, yep. yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see them in September and, and it'll be fun. I'm, it's a gas. They're, they're great. So you mentioned that you worked in, at least as I understand, you got fired from there. Is that a story you want to share on the record? If it's a funny story or not, but yeah, it is. It's a great story. So for your listeners, Lisa's Country Kitchen was the greatest diner in town. They had great burgers and, and great fries and great steaks and lots of great things. It was ran by a lady named Lisa King. She's since been remarried, but she was awesome. She was she's a tough lady. One of my great friends worked there, her son, Jason King. And anyway, I got a job there. I think I was 15. I was what I called myself the lead waiter because I was the only waiter. Everybody else was girls. <laughs> right? So I was the lead waiter and we were, you know, we were working, we were doing great. I'd, been, I'd worked there a whole summer and the first part of the school year. And then I think it was like 1995 or 1996, there was a semi crash outside by Mona, North Mona, where this gas semi had crashed and it put kind of toxins in the whole town and they had to evacuate Mona and come stay at the high school. And I was working that night at Lisa's. And so if anybody's ever worked in a restaurant, you'll know at the end of the night, you're always closing up, you, you pack everything up, cleaning everything up. So it's 10 o'clock or it was like 9.30 and I was cleaning everything up because it's super slow. And at 9.35, 9.40, these two newscasters come in because they've been broadcasting up there in Mona. And they're like, hey, we're here to get some food. And I knew we didn't close till 10 but it was 940. And so I didn't want to serve them, right? I didn't want to have to get everything out and reclean it. Right. So I said, Hey man, I wouldn't eat here if my life depended on it. It's terrible. The steaks are terrible. I mean, it's just the worst. 
And these guys just froze, right? They were staring at me like, what are you saying? And I was like, where I would go is Denny's. We had a Denny's at the time in town. And they're like, you're telling us to go to Denny's? Oh, yeah. It's so much better than our crappy food. So they leave. We close up. No skin off my nose. Next day I'm at school. I was supposed to work that night as well. So the next day I'm at school and I get a phone call to the office. Because remember, we didn't have cell phones back then. I go to answer the phone. It's Lisa, right? And she's like, hey, Don. I'm like, hey, Lisa. She goes, hey, um, uh, you don't have to work tonight. And I was like, sweet, right? That's (laughs) awesome. And she goes, well, because I had these two guys come in this morning for breakfast. They were newscasters. And they told me that they came last night and tried to come in. And you told us our food was really bad. And that you wouldn't eat here if your life depended on like she quoted it. And so I was caught red handed. So I told her the truth. I said, yeah, you know, at least I'm so sorry. And she goes, yeah, well, you're fired. I don't want you to come back. She fired me over the phone at school. I hung up, went back to the second period or third period. And I was like, let's go. Oh, well, and that was my first firing. I got fired a couple more times in my life, but that one was, that was the first Lisa. And I've talked to her since then. She changed my life. She held me accountable as she should have. And that's important. And it was great. And I've told her that, like, I'll never forget that memory getting fired over the phone at high school. Sit, I'm sitting in the office, right? Like getting fired over the phone. <laughs> Why everybody else is there. Like, is this his mom? Like who's calling him? Going on here. Got off the phone. So now you have a chance to, to share with some killers fans who might come through Nephi to check out where Brandon grew up. What should they get if they go to Lisa's? The cheeseburger and fries is, is the best. And, but what she's known for is her pie. So she makes her fresh pies every day. Um, and she's like literally known for her pies. Now they have a new restaurant. The old restaurant used to be on main street, kind of more into town a little bit, it's still at the South end of town, but they now, now they have a new restaurant building at the South end of town. That's where I took my son. We came through. I, I took him to the new restaurant and I was going to say hi to Lisa, but she was busy and, and we were on a time crunch. So uh, we didn't have time, but that was it. Always go to Lisa's, get the cheeseburger and fries, get a piece of pie. You'll win. What else would you, uh, would you recommend people stop by and do if they come through Nephi, kind of touring Nephi for, for Brandon or Killer's sake? Uh, if somebody's touring, you'd want to for sure go see the old gym. Okay. Like, and then go see the annex on first. So that's like where he grew up. That was his formative years with the annex. I have an old gym story for you. See if you remember. Let's do it. I remember playing roller hockey with you and Andy. And I think I, I was playing with Mike Wood. Right. <laughs> you too. And you absolutely destroyed us. Do you remember playing roller hockey? I absolutely do. Cause we had a, we only had a couple of sticks and I had the goalie stick and we had a baseball mitt for the, I mean, none of us knew anything about hockey or any of the rules of it. And yeah, we, I remember playing hockey cause we got the hockey stuff for Christmas and we just used it there. And so, yeah, I remember that. Uh, the only other random story that I remembered for some reason, I think when you mentioned your mom went to the U of U, I remember Clint telling us one time, he didn't, I didn't ask him about it when he came on the podcast. You're talking about Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer. Is that oh yeah. About? I thought it was Ted Bundy, but. Oh no, I'm sorry. It is Ted Bundy. I didn't mean to say Jeffrey Dahmer. That's uh, maybe I'm just hungry. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, my mom, as my, as I understand the story, I don't want to embellish, but as I understand the story, he spilled coffee on her. And out of her, his kindness asked to take her out and make it up. And I think they went and got coffee 
together or something like that. And, and she said to this day, he was extremely charming and kind and unbelievably nice. So like we've got weird connections to celebrity, like Ted Bundy, my cousin, or it's like my second cousin uh, is in the band, the shins. And um, yeah. And on my dad's side, and then obviously we know Brandon flowers. So so your parents, they don't live in Nephi anymore. Is that what you're saying? No, none of us do. None of us, none of us live in Nephi at all. Yeah. That, that ended, geez, that, you know, 13, 14 years ago or something like that. Yeah. So were you born in Nephi or did they move after you were born? No, my, my, I was born in Staten Island, New York. And Clint was born, I think in Staten Island as well. When my dad was going to Long Island University for his medical studies, he was getting his PA there. And so then we moved back home or back to Utah um, when he finished. So that's uh, we're I, I mean, you could say we we're born in New York. I don't know if we're New Yorkers per se. The, the birth certificate might say differently. But one of my favorite memories of my adulthood was the first time I got to go to New York. My dad, this is why my dad's the coolest guy in the world. And this is where all of our work ethic came from. He and my mom, they went to New York with no connections, none to go start, um, to go start a life and build a future for themselves. And I mean, they were dead broke. They stayed in a town home in Brooklyn or originally in Staten Island later on in Brooklyn. And the one in Staten Island, I took a picture of it with my phone. It was just a junker place. My dad used to walk to the Manhattan or for the Staten Island ferry to go to work in the city before he'd have to take, take it back. I mean, uh, to go to school. I mean, it was just kind of pioneer stuff where they were just living in poverty to build a future that was so far down the road. And that that work ethic is, you know, is what I try to teach my kids and other people like to try to embody. Just have grit, stay at it. Who cares the challenges? You can figure it out. Remind everybody uh, we start off with where they can find you, what you're doing. Uh, Yeah. To throw out to people or Uh, people can find me on Instagram, executivecoach.don. Um, you can go to my website, donmarklin.com. You can learn more about me um, and the businesses that I work with. You can follow me on Forbes. You can see my publications on Forbes. I've got a new article coming out that talks about Ellen Ring or whatever. I can't remember this super. Uh, anyway, it's a big popular role-playing game and it emphasizes how you can use that and the, the principles of that for self-development. I just wrote one on Ted Lasso, how Ted Lasso and the lessons from Ted Lasso, if you know that. And so people can do that. They can follow me online and check that out. I think what you guys are doing is great work. It's not easy. Applaud the hard work. Anybody that's listening needs to give you a five-star review. That's important. And to share it, like, and share, subscribe, share it to all their friends. My last question for you is, do you still play music? Yeah, I do all the time. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a performer by any means, but um, yeah, I still play all the time. I still do the piano and guitar and sing all the time. And uh, there's a part of me that always thinks you know i would have never been a rock star like brandon there's no way i didn't have that type of talent but i was trying to go into musical theater and i always thought one day i would have tried that but wasn't wasn't meant to be so maybe in another life (laughs) yeah well i'm very happy with the life that i have i I don't know if i you know some of my dear friends are on broadway now and you know it's a life I, i say dear friends they're good friends i wouldn't say they're dear friends but um yeah, it's a tough life, tough gig. Being being in the creative arts, it's a tough gig, man. Hey, this is Don Markland, and you know I knew Brandon growing up, and the Brandon and the Killers are as cool 
uh, as it gets, the fact that they can write about a, a stupid little town like Nephi and make it a number one record. That takes real talent, man. That's cool. This is another episode down from Lonely Town. 